640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. Answer my question! Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. Let's do just that. 7.36 on Toronto Today. Lovely to have you here on a Friday, and we're excited to chat with both our guests right now. We bring in a lawyer and political satirist, so she better find a moment or two to be satirical and political at the same time. She's Kareem Assad. It's great to have you on. We we uh, we love visiting with you. You got a lot of energy. You're out there. If you ever hand me a paper with an envelope on it, then I know I'm in trouble. You're not just asking for a survey. I've done. Yeah, it's a summons of some sort. I I don't want to ever be handed a paper in an envelope by you. Does that common feeling? This is a good message to be broadcasting. I think. <laughs> I think so. And we don't want you to hand one to our next guest either, who's a familiar voice right here at 640 Toronto. He ran for mayor, had a very successful campaign, finished in the top five against all odds. A, a regular Rocky Balboa of Toronto politics. He Without the workouts, I think he's had a raw egg or two in the morning, though, at times in a blender. Anthony Fury joins us right now on Toronto Today. How about them raw eggs? Well, you know, as Rocky says, it ain't about how hard you can hit, Greg. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. So I, let's do it. I think that's it. Yeah, you pick yourself right back up. Well, let's start with you, Anthony. A rather remarkable uh, reversal here. Doug Ford offers up an apology. He promises not to develop land previously allotted to developers. Here's some of what he said yesterday, by the way, about building homes and developing properties. The truth remains, Ontario's growing at an unprecedented speed. And doing more of the same, accepting the status quo, will only make the housing affordability crisis worse. We need to build homes. We need to change the way we build these homes, building more density in growing cities close to transit. Now that's Doug Ford from yesterday, Anthony, but that sounds like a clip of Doug Ford three days ago and 12 days ago and two months ago about why he needed to build on the green belt. What was your reaction to what you heard yesterday? Well, we did hear for a while that uh, the premier and the government had really done nothing wrong and there really wasn't anything to apologize for. Then we've seen resignations of two ministers and definitely we're seeing from the opposition parties and I guess some in the media that uh, to go back to the boxing analogy, well, he's up against the ropes. So let's just, just keep on keep on giving the body shots there. So the question is really what happens next in all of this? Because I think the, the economic analysis we just heard from the premier is, is correct. Uh, during my mayoral campaign and then, you know, previously just giving commentary, I felt like Ontario needed to build up, to build out and everything in between because it's a basic numbers game thing. But here we're talking about the process. And I think that's what the premier apologized for, that uh, both, both the perception and the reality of flaws in this process. Oftentimes, Karima, people do something and they're like, there's so much coming at me right now. If I don't now, he's not ahead of this. That's for sure. If you have two cabinet ministers uh, resign within the span of three weeks, especially a popular one like Steve Clark, you're not ahead of it. But using your you got a great analytical mind as a lawyer. Do you think he's out there today? Not because of polls, not because of what the caucus says, but he's out there to advance perhaps more legal things coming that are bad for him. It's very possible because we know that there has been and are possibly ongoing um, investigations by the integrity commissioner and that the RCMP is also 
looking into this file. So there are possible legal consequences coming down the pipeline. And what I heard from Premier Ford is indeed an apology. And I think he's sincere about being sorry that he got caught and got caught up in this and that public momentum didn't just dissipate or go away. And I think that he's hoping now the story gets put to rest, although I'm skeptical that that is what happens next. I just, I had that moment, Karima, where I go, my goodness, there's the Doug that looks in the camera and he says he's sorry. Like we all do in our own lives. We apologize to friends. We apologize to kids. We apologize to our partners. We expect that from them back as well when they get it wrong. But, but you know, and I know we're craving accountability, transparency among politicians, and often it's nowhere to be found. And I'm like, that connects with people what he did yesterday. It does on some level, but, you know, we also have to, as you say, insist on the accountability because mm. the word story doesn't actually mean all that much, especially if we sort of take a step back, look holistically at this process, at the way that it's been handled by the premier's office, and, and they've been dragged every step. Yeah, there is that. Uh, Anthony, you and I have talked a lot about Doug Ford over the last few years, and a lot of it framed through um, pandemic decisions, pandemic restrictions, and some of what we really aligned upon was the madness. If we look back at so much of what was done, we'd be like, we were the guys in, in a way saying this was all wrong. But oftentimes, Ford got credit during the pandemic, and I think it was a huge reason he had a landslide win in the election, because people were exhausted. They said, leave me alone. More importantly, leave my kids alone. Let them go to school. Let them play with their friends. Let them play sports. But Doug Ford yesterday did a lot of, oh, you don't want playgrounds closed? Okay. All right. You want stores more open? Okay, I'll get there. That reminded me of that yesterday. Yeah, and what's interesting in that experience is there were people who felt uh, very strongly that that measures were too strict. You know, I was in that camp, and then there were others who were yelling at him, why didn't you, you know, close this down or mandate masks for longer or what have you. So there are a lot of strong passions uh, going in opposite directions. And yet, to your point, the premier was still reelected with a majority mandate, a larger one. A lot of that, I think, had to do with just how weak the opposition parties and, and leaders were, not necessarily great support yeah. for the Ford government, but still, you know, still standing. So again, if I can, if I can get tired with, you know, the boxing analogies, I mean, he's, he's taken a lot of hits, but he's, he's still coming out strong from the corner. Well, it, again, Anthony, if you, you and I are sitting there in May of 21, people can't go anywhere. Uh, see, just twice vaccinated seniors can't go play golf. People can't go to the gym and it's their only way they can work out. And, and if I told you, if I came back from the future and I said, by the way, that premier that everyone's ticked off for right now, he's going to go to 83 seats from 67. We never would have believed it in May of 21. Never. And, and I think what that shows us, Greg, is that anything's possible. So you mm. say, what's going to happen next with this story? I, I think anything. There's There could be greater highs, greater lows, and uh, mm. things could be wrapping down for this government, or this could just be the beginning of you know Doug Ford until 2030. Anthony Fury, journalist, former mayoral candidate as well, and Kareem Assad, lawyer and activist, joining us as well. Let, let's get to some of the legal implications of this, Kareem. I, by the way, I don't know. I'm obsessed with the idea that the former cabinet minister and caucus member paid $4,500 cash for three airline tickets and then got reimbursed in cash. I'm not sure who's carrying that much cash around. Like, I don't have 20 bucks on a regular basis. This guy had $4,500 cash for three airline tickets. So I, do you like that aspect of the story as much as I do? I love this aspect of it. 
I, I feel that, yeah, we're living in different universes there. <laughs> more I read about this and, and how it came out and, you know, the misrepresentations, misleading statements, um, improperly fact-checked is maybe the most charitable that we can be about what was disclosed to these Ford uh, caucus members mm. and staffers and their trip to Las Vegas that happened to coincide with a developer. And, you know, all of this raises major red flags. And I don't think that we would have seen resignation um, if there wasn't concern behind that. I think we've all had a moment where, you know, if you said to me, what were you doing two weeks ago on Saturday? I wouldn't remember. Maybe I wouldn't. But Karima, to that point, if you're going before the integrity commissioner and you have a pretty good sense that he's going to ask you about a specific trip or or how you covered your expenses as an MPP, knowing you can't accept uh, gifts on a regular basis, I'd have my details in line. Is it really tough to prove intent to lie? And what it looks like now is two of the three people on the trip had the exact same incorrect dates. So there's, again, there's a little bit of a trail here now, isn't there? Yeah, it's it, uh, on its face might suggest coordination or collusion in advance to get a story straight that didn't actually materialize. And I agree with you that, you know, it's sometimes the days just blend one into <laughs> the next. And, and so it is plausible that someone might make a mistake. I do note that the timing of this, that the trip being in February 2020, which is right before lockdowns, I'm not sure about everyone else, but I distinctly remember what I was doing in those weeks because it was the last few weeks of normal. Um, And, you know, there is, (laughs) this is maybe the most unhappy ending to a massage that I've ever heard of, where we now know that they were together in the hotel receiving these spa treatments, um, it, it it just doesn't smell right. There's all of that. One more I want to get to both of you on, and, and to start with you, Anthony, you know, you and I would look and, you know, we'd handicap uh, the other leaders. You mentioned um, the weak leadership last time out. It's not a coincidence, both Stephen Del Duca, Andrea Horvath. I mean, they resigned before midnight uh, the night of the 22 election. But if you're Marit Stiles, who was on our show earlier today, if you're I think there's only three people that could possibly be premier except Doug Ford after summer of 26. And it's Marit Stiles, it's Bonnie Crombie, it's Nate Erskine-Smith. How are you feeling this AM? Like you kind of wanted to hold this over the Ford government, didn't you, for another three years that they didn't that they developed land on the Greenbelt? All these rich people have new houses and, and now you can't. Well, the, to go back to what we were just discussing, questions of timing and who knew what when and dates of meetings. I can guarantee you that uh, access to information documents have already been filed by people in the media. The opposition parties are thinking about how to get that information. And that drip, drip, drip phrase, uh, whether it's real or not, they're going to say that there's more and they're going to try and get it out through procedural mechanisms, committees, and then through through media investigations. So uh, they're strategizing how to sort of keep this going uh, for that time period you're talking about. Because to our point about uh, Doug Ford being the comeback kid there, and you know he's faced criticism before, but can he turn around with a majority in 2026? Sure, if they sort of run out the clock on this thing. So they want to keep this going, opposition leaders, for as many months as they can. I anticipate. 
Same thing, Karima. Do you look and go, oh, like like we, we change our tactics a little bit. We can still say you had this intent. But what they can't say is, well, he didn't make anybody accountable. Yeah, he did. There's two cabinet ministers gone. Well, he never changes his mind. Yeah, he sure did. He's got to go to these people who are counting on this land and say, I'm pulling it back. It's not yours anymore. That is that, that's something that might be tough to, to push around him, push him around on two years from now. I think there's still opportunity for pressure. And before government, there's no shortage of things to point to and complain about. Um, so if I'm in that position, apart from continuing to press on this and ensure that all of these investigations, et cetera, are taking place, maybe I'm redirecting some attention to Ontario Place, which is another hot button issue that I think can galvanize public attention yeah that's the next uh, fascinating step uh indeed to see where that goes all right let's move to canada and india i want to play you something uh this is uh from the nsa white house national security advisor i should say uh to the president of the united states jake sullivan speaking yesterday and it was really the first international type of any kind because none of the heads of state have really done it to say we kind of have canada's back here in this india accusation I have seen in the press some efforts to try to drive a wedge between the United States and Canada on this issue, and I firmly reject the idea that there is a wedge between the U.S. and Canada. We have deep concerns about the allegations, and we would like to see this investigation carried forward and the perpetrators held to account. It's really been a remarkable five days. Karima, let me start with you and then let Anthony dig in. India stops issuing visas yesterday to Canadian citizens amidst this row over the accusation of, of who's, whether or not it was a state-sponsored assassination of a Sikh separatist. Then today, India calls Canada a, quote, safe haven for terrorists. It, it's unthinkable Sunday night as we all went to bed that we'd have the week we had in terms of international relations with a friendly country, as we would assume. Yep. And, you know, all of the posturing and these steps being taken, whether calculated or rashly, the end result is the same where we have this deteriorating relationship. And I think that that's something that should concern all of us. Um, There are ways in which I believe the prime minister has overestimated the amount of leverage that Canada has vis-a-vis India and underestimated what India contributes to our economy. Uh, And clearly there are more than just economic dimensions to this. There's the matter of territorial sovereignty. We don't know the basis of these accusations. We may not be privy to that information anytime soon. But if I am one of the Five Eyes partners uh, and, you know, we have this uh, alliance with Canada, with our national intelligence, I'm looking closely at the way Canada is conducting itself and what information is actually being shared. Is there a strong basis, enough of a basis, to to suggest this in the House of Commons? I think you make a phenomenal point. Anthony, this is really tricky. Monday, Prime Minister steps up and says... To paraphrase, yes, we've got proof the government in India sponsored this assassination. People like Karima, you, me, our own Mackenzie Gray, we played a clip earlier, say, oh, what is that proof? We're journalists. We'd like to know. And then the country says, I'm sorry, we don't talk about ongoing investigations. That's only going to last so long and, and, and be valid. That, that can't last for much longer, as a matter of fact. And if you don't talk about them, then why did you talk about them in the first place, sending us into this international relations tailspin? This is not the sort of thing you go public with 
unless you've got the substance, you know, show me the goods, show me the money. Oh, you don't have it. So why are we at this point right now? It's rather shocking that uh, Justin Trudeau made these currently baseless allegations. We don't know what they've got. We're all waiting to see it made them public in in such a way that is going to clearly damage things, at least in the interim. Anthony, what's the next best step? If you were on the Trudeau team, what would you tell him to do? Well, it's put up or shut up. And the problem is they likely don't have something so substantial as to lead to action or else that action probably would have happened. They probably would have led with that. So what is the play here? I, I really hope it's not domestic politics. I mean, that would be really awful if that's really what's going on here. The concerns that, okay, Trudeau needs to turn the page. He's slumping in the polls. This thing is somehow going to help. I mean, that would be really problematic if, if you know, one of the largest countries in the world, uh, our relation with them is soured all because of a gimmick like that. Karima, that's bound to happen, isn't it? And and whether or not it's legitimate or not, that accusation is going to be thrown at either side. On, on Monday, when this gets announced in the House of Commons, everybody's aligned. Jagmeet Singh says exactly what Pierre Polyev says, which is exactly what Yves-Francois Blanchet says. This is terrible. This is this is dramatic. We have to get to the bottom of this. But if you're Pierre Polyev as well, you look at where you are in the polls, you might be the next prime minister. You're probably going to bed at night thinking, my, one of my first jobs as prime minister is going to be putting the Canada-India relationship back together. Again, he never fathomed that three months ago. No, it's a, a real can of worms. And you know, the it, I, I agree with Anthony's point that if this is an in like a domestic politics gimmick, um, it's a very poor play um, because the relations between India and Canada, we, we can't ignore that Canada has one of the largest diaspora populations. Mm-hmm. Presently, there are no visas being issued. So what? Does that actually that's going to have a real impact on daily lives and you know the it, it can't be underestimated we've got kareem Assad with us anthony fury this segment is called think tank it airs every day at 7 30 a programming note as well anthony fury will be in hosting for alex pearson on monday between nine and noon alex in today but anthony in for her on monday so we look forward to that um i can i i know both of you has a lot have a lot Lots of thoughts on the the protest, the counter protest. Um, can we go there in the last few minutes and uh, and take a take a right or left turn? <laughs> no pun intended. Can we do that? Sure. Because because sure. Karima, I know you were there. What did you witness, and were you surprised by anything you witnessed in uh, in all the activity and and really all the noise? A lot of shouting, a lot of signs, and, and a lot of tension. Yeah, I was in Whitby and then Pickering, um, so I didn't have the. Toronto or Ottawa or Vancouver experience. But what I saw were two groups of people in fairly equal size, basically yelling at cross purposes. And, you know, I think that there is unfortunately a fair bit of dehumanization that's happening across the board here that makes it hard and almost impossible to listen to one another as there is this kind of spin on what's happening and we make assumptions about one another. Um, What happened in Pickering, they intended to protest over an overpass, but police ended up blocking them from doing that. There was some conflict about convoy protesters being allowed to do it and discrepancy there, uh, but ultimately it resolved peacefully. Um, However, today there's more protests in Toronto um, and I don't expect this issue 
just evaporates because a lot of people and organizations are getting good mileage from fueling hate here. Anthony, how did how did you view it? Um, a lot of language. Um, we had tons of texts yesterday reacting to the protests earlier in the week and the, and the million person march and uh, and people were calling each other names on both sides. Kids were there hearing yeah maybe a lot of words they hear on the schoolyard anyway, but they're getting their own dads and moms called that and using some of the words themselves. Um, I just don't see how any of it's productive. Well, I think the one thing we need to talk about, and I'm someone who's who's for many years been a defender of gay and lesbian rights, yet as a parent, I don't like the fact that the Toronto District School Board sending surveys to elementary age kids asking, are you transgender? The surveys are asking, do you know about binding and tucking? What's going on at the elementary age level? So the idea that the gender ideology stuff is just being pushed a bit too much, a bit too far, too young of an age is a message that I think a lot of parents get behind. So to Karima's point, I'm sure there were nut job people saying Mm -hmm. things that I certainly don't support, but uh, I I think we do need to talk out the gender ideology issue in the schools for sure. Yeah, I know. I know how you feel. And I I think there's there's a balancing act there. Karima, I I look at, at the polls and I'm like, I also don't see... I don't know what the political will is of the public. When I see 77% of people of adults in Ontario, some of them don't have kids, but 77% say, yeah, parents have to be involved. They have to be at least informed, if not informed and involved on what's happening in the life of their kids at school. Um, That's tough to make a political win when 77% of people don't agree on anything these days, but they do on that. Yeah, it's, and it's not really that controversial a point. It only becomes controversial mm-hmm. if it's conflated with issues or hypothetical scenarios that may not bear out in reality. Um, so, you know, the, the there's an entrenchment in this position and any movement gets characterized in a negative light one way or the other. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's an irrational approach because ultimately we do have to dialogue and tossing around smears and hurtful, hateful language uh, is, is only bringing us farther apart. Anthony, I got a minute left, but I thought Stephen Lecce's statement about parents needing to be involved helpful and, and there's a tone to it. I'm coming back to the premier. I really wish he hadn't got on stage a couple weeks ago and started yelling about teachers and doctors, which teachers, what percentage? Like, again, so much of this is a low, low percentage, but it gets amplified. And then you think, how many? 30 percent, 60 percent? I didn't think the premier's premier's move there was helpful. Yeah, but that's the problem. I think the more extremist voices, though, Greg, uh, pushing too far on the trans ideology issues are the ones making this most difficult for everyone. So can we be a bit more targeted in how we critique the more extreme voices? Because, you know, lots of people in the gay and lesbian community are saying we're unhappy with just uh, how aggressive, you know, that that particular sort of sub-movement has become. So I, I don't know. I, th- I think Ford was right to, to speak up uh, more broadly on the issue, but we'll, we'll see where it heads in terms of the detail. Hey, loved having you both on. You guys were dynamite today. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Thank you. Kareem Assad, lawyer and activist. Anthony Fury, journalist and former mayoral candidate.